This is the Mount Carmel Christian Church Podcast. Today, student minister Aaron Adams will be teaching the message. So I I don't know about you guys, I feel like I have a kind of a, a running list of everything that's kind of been terrible about this year. You probably can add your things to it, the things that you're like, this is not how this year's supposed to go, right? Um, and so um, I have that list, but there have been things that I could say have gone well, or maybe surprisingly well, or that I have learned, um, maybe been proven wrong on. And so um, for me, that's working from home. Um, I never had worked from home before. Not that I wasn't allowed to, I just never thought I could in the sense of, there's always a project to do at home. There's always yard work to do. Uh, sometimes the couch in Netflix just sounds way better than any email or any, any work that needs to be done. And so I just never thought I could. But it obviously was forced on me and uh, many of us in this room. Now, some of you might have just been working from home. That's, that's your job. And so it's, it's maybe a little bit different for you. But had been forced upon me and we had to start working from home. And I learned that I actually can work from home and be a little bit productive. You know, and so I've got two young kids. I thought they're just going to distract me. They're going to be too loud, whatnot, but I could work from home. And so every once in a while, you know, our staff for the most part is back in the office, but every once in a while, depending on kind of how the day uh, works out or the week schedule works out, I'll work from home every once in a while. And so this past Monday, I was working from home and it was that rain all day kind of Monday, you know? And so I'm working from home. And what I love about being able to work from home is I can still be near my family. And so I can be in the other room working, and then I can come out, and I can see uh, the boys, I can see my wife, and then I can go back to working. And so I was in the other room, and I was working, and then the house grew all too quiet. And if you're a parent, you, you know what I'm talking about. Like, when things become quiet, you're like, what is wrong? Where are they at? Because normally, I can always hear where my boys are at. Like, I know where they're at. But when the house becomes quiet— Something's being destroyed, you know, somebody's hurt, I don't know. And so I walked out of the, the, the other room and walked out into the living room. And my wife's in the kitchen. I was like, where are the boys at? She's like, well, they're outside. Of course, my boys are outside. You know, it's raining pretty steadily at this point, but my boys are outside kind of boys. And so I wander over to the window and it takes me a second, but I, I find them. And they're actually wearing, surprisingly, raincoats and boots. You know, uh, if you're a parent, you know that sometimes just getting shoes on and keeping a shirt on is difficult, but maybe because it was kind of cold on Monday and rainy, they decided that they would listen to their mother's advice and wear the appropriate attire for the day. Now, what I loved about this is they had no idea that I was watching them, right? And so they're not trying to impress me. They are not trying to make sure they're doing the right thing. They're just doing whatever the heck comes to their, their mind in that moment. And so I'm just watching them. And Cole, my, my youngest, he's three, is just walking around, along. He's kind of in the woods, and then he begins his journey up the hill kind of towards the house. And he is deliberately finding every sort of mud hole he can and just stepping in it. And then foot could come out, and he steps in it again and does it again. It was one of those mud holes where, like, the, the foot just disappears one of those, those mud holes where it's like, the boot's going to stay in that mud hole. It's going to suck it right off your foot kind of th thing. And I just, I'm just kind of there laughing because he's just having a time. It's entertaining to him. 
And then it kind of dawns on you, it's like, all right, the, the raincoats are doing their job, keeping them dry. The boots are still on at this point. We can just take that stuff off before they come inside. We'll be good. And then Cole kind of pans away from me, and I just see the mud, like, caked in his hair all the way down, his sweatpants and everything. And it's like, uh, somebody's going to have to clean this up. But I'm working from home, so it's, i got to go back to work, right? <laughs> right? That's how, it's supposed to go. That's how it's supposed to go. But really, it's like, of course we're going to clean our kids up. At this point, they're uh, so gross, it's like straight to the shower gross, right? But there are kids, and so we do that. Like, even though it might be kind of annoying to us at times, it's like, they're my kids, and I love my kids, and I'm going to clean them up. We've cleaned up worse in the past, and I'm sure we'll have to clean up worse in the future. And I feel like that's a truth for all of us, even if, those of us that aren't, aren't parents, that we will go to great lengths to care for, to clean up those that we, we love. You know, maybe it is a child. We will clean up our children because we love them. A, a good friend we will care for because we love them. Oftentimes in marriage, even in sickness and in health, we will care for our spouse even when it means sacrificing something to us personally, because we love them. And I'm always taken aback a bit by the actions in the words of Jesus. Because Jesus had this uh, ability to do things and say things that cause us and cause me to question whether I would do those same things. And so Jesus is really literally hours before going to the to the cross. And he's with his few. He's with his disciples. And he's going to share a last meal with them. But at this last meal, Jesus gets up and he takes off his, his outer coat. Essentially, he's getting ready to do work. And so he grabs a towel and a basin of water, and he begins washing each of his disciples' feet. Now, washing feet in this culture, in Mideastern culture, is not uncommon, right? And so, you wore sandals. It was dusty. It was dirty. You wear sandals without socks because you never should wear socks with sandals, right? <laughs> but they are wearing sandals. It's dusty. It's dirty. But take it a step further a little bit. These roads would have garbage in them. People would throw out their bath water and whatever else out there. Animals traveled these exact same roads, and animals don't care where they need to go. When they need to go, they go. You can get where I'm going. Like, it gets pretty gross and pretty dirty. And so mom always said, take your shoes off before you come in the house. And so washing feet was not uncommon. But because of who Jesus was, what Jesus did was uncommon. See, the, usually the lowest, the lowliest of servants on the totem pole would be tasked with washing the poo, the dirt, the dust, the grime off your feet. When someone would come in the house, you would, you would sit closely with them. You would, what they call recline closely with those in the home. And so you don't want somebody's nasty, dirty, smelly feet right next to you. And so washing feet wasn't uncommon but, uncommon, but because of who Jesus was, it was uncommon. And so I'm paraphrasing here, but Simon Peter's like, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet, right? Not me. 
And Jesus is like, I, I understand that you don't understand at this time exactly what I'm doing, because this is uncommon. But you will understand it at some, at some point. And Peter's like, surely not me. Jesus, you're my king. Jesus, you are my Lord. Jesus, you are my Messiah. This is not, this is not your job. But that's who Jesus was. A man willing to put himself in a low position to raise up his few, to raise up his friends, because he loved them. And it baffled the disciples. See, we've been in this series called Wise Up, and we've been taking looks at different parts of the book of James. You know, we've hit different parts of the book. And what I love about James is James doesn't pull any punches. James speaks plainly. He sees an issue, he calls it out, and then provides the solution. Here's what needs to happen. I don't know about you, but I am that kind of person that I need that kind of communication in my life. I'd much rather you just speak to me in love, like don't, don't rip me apart. But James is just like, Here's, here it is. I don't have to read it a million times. I don't have to contemplate very long on what he's trying to get to. He just says it. And this morning is no different. We're going to be in James chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read it all together, and then we'll kind of come back through. So feel free to uh, read it yourself or just follow along. And this is what it says. This is what James says. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So James jumps right in, and he's talking to the church here. James is talking to Christians he is talking to those who would consider themselves followers of Jesus. The church at this point is kind of scattered about. It's not just uh, one group of people. So it's kind of making its way around. And he comes out right away. Christians, church, followers of Jesus, you must not show favoritism. That's verse one. Essentially, Stop showing favoritism. Because James is realizing that the church has been guilty of this for some time. That the church has a tendency at times, sometimes not meaning to, but has a tendency to place standards on people and reject people for things that God would never reject them over. And so he calls out right then 
and there. I mean, let's think about this. Thankfully, this is not true for us, but let's think about this. What if God only accepted us based on how smart you were? Did you meet a certain IQ? What if God had only accepted us based on our ACT score? I would have been terrible. Terrible. But what if God would have only accepted us if you were considered wealthy? Or what if God would not accept you because you were too wealthy? What if God would only accept you based on your race or your nationality or the culture you came from? Like the list can go on and on. And that's the kind of favoritism that James is beginning to bring to light. Now, most of us, especially reading it today, would be like, well, I agree. James isn't telling me anything that I don't know. Favoritism is bad. Partiality is bad. Biases, prejudice, any other word for it is bad. But then he continues with kind of a specific example. Verse 2. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So, fine clothes, nice clothes, a gold ring, often a sign of wealth. Or at least in the time of James, maybe you're a politician. You have political standing. Maybe for us, to a lesser degree, that can still be true. But a wealthy man comes in at the same time that a poor man described in filthy clothes walks in. And to that wealthy man, you say, come on in. Let me help you find a nice seat. Is there anything else I can get you? Essentially, you are whining and dining him. But the poor man with the filthy clothes who walked in at the same time You say, hold on, can you stand in the back? Maybe out in the foyer, or you can sit at my feet. That's favoritism. And that's what James is imploring Christ followers, followers of Jesus, to get away from. And we look at that and we say, well, duh, James. Of course, that's bad. I hope I would never do that. I hope the church doesn't do that. I hope Mount Carmel doesn't do that. And the ugly truth is maybe we're not so blatant about it. Maybe it's something that's a little more hidden for us. Maybe it's something that's more hidden in our hearts. But it happens. It was a major issue for the church in the day of James, and it still has veins that run through the church today and in our hearts. And it's the uncomfortable things that we have to talk about. See, what James is saying is there, what we, what we do is we place standards on people. We place value on people based on things that God doesn't recognize. If, if you're looking for the wise words, it's paint a person's character with a thin brush. Because oftentimes we have this tendency to use the broad strokes. If you're a white person, you're this. If you are a black person, you're that. If you're Hispanic, you're this. If you're a Republican, you're this. If you're a Democrat, 
you're that. Anything else? We can fill in the blank. We do that. And so James is saying we can't be this broad. People of the church, we can't be this, we can't be this broad. So paint a person's character with a thin brush. And then he gets into, here's, here's what God values. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith, to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Church, if a poor man walks in, based on outward appearances, you look at him and you say, he has nothing to offer. A rich man walks in, somebody of wealth walks in, you say, well, this person has something to offer me. But church, those aren't the things that that God values. What God values is your faith, your faith in him and how you care for people and how you love people. See, when Jesus was washing the feet of his few, when Jesus chose to wash the feet of his disciples, he was washing the feet of fishermen, of tax collectors, of zealots. He was washing the feet of men that had different salaries. They came from different backgrounds. They had different strength. They had different weaknesses. They had different burdens. Yet Jesus washed their feet because they were in proximity to him. They heard his few. See, the poor man and the the wealthy man, they came into the building together. And that can look a lot like love, right? It wasn't that the poor man in old filthy clothes was told to stay in the parking lot. He was in our building. We could say that's welcoming. But the point is, it's not about proximity. It's not good enough to say they're, they're close to me, they're in my proximity. It's what you do with people once they're here. See, when Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus knew he was going to be betrayed. Jesus knew the exact name of the man in the room who would sell him out. Think about that. Like when I talk about Jesus does things and says things that cause me to ponder whether I could or would do the same thing, like this is it. Like the man who would stab Jesus in the back, who would literally sell him out, send Jesus to a brutal death, is in the room. And what does Jesus do? He ate dinner with them. And then he went a step further, he washed his feet. Like that's the kind of impartiality that Jesus modeled for us. Like when Jesus says, this is what it looks like to love somebody, that's it. And so really, what we have to wrestle with, and the question, the challenge that we have is, are we willing to wash feet? Are we, are we willing to wash feet of our few? Because God has put people in proximity to all of us. 
Jesus had his few in his disciples, and he invested much time, thought, prayer, physical things into his few. And we each have our, our few, where it's not good enough to just say, well, I'm in proximity with them, where we have to take a step forward and say, am I willing to wash their feet? Am I willing to wash their feet? Washing the feet for those that we love often isn't difficult. It might be an annoyance. It might be aggravating. I often can wash the feet of my kids because I love them. Sometimes I need to wash their feet better. But washing the feet of those that are different than us, that think different than us, who have different viewpoints, come from different cultures, races, etc., it's more difficult. But we can't say, well, I love them because they're in proximity to me, because that's not love. If we're going to say we love them, are we willing to wash their feet? And that's what Jesus modeled. To talk specifics, I have a few. Here's my few. There are people that, there are a few guys, three guys specifically, that I have known for about a year to two years that is being revealed to me more and more. God has put me in proximity with these guys. They are very different than me. They are not Christians. And for somebody who uh, works in a church, I'm surrounded by a lot of people that at least have some sort of faith, belief, belief system. These guys, not at all. They talk much differently than I do. And so I could say, well, I love them because I'm close to them. They're in proximity. I'll spend some time with them. But am I willing to wash their feet? And I don't mean just physically, because if I were to take these guys' boots off and wash their feet, they might punch me in the face. But am I willing to lower myself and raise them up and wash their feet the way that Jesus was willing to wash the feet of his friends? His disciples were baffled by this. And so we all have a few. For some of us right now, we are not willing to wash the feet of our spouse. For some of us right now, our our family must become our few to where we are willing to take the step and truly love them. For some of us, it's, it's our neighbors, our physical neighbors, because they're in proximity to us. They are close to us. And we have the opportunity to step forward and say, I love you, and I'm willing to wash your feet. For some of us, it's coworkers. And you can find your few wherever you're at. You have them. It is easy for us to wash the feet of somebody that we love. It's more difficult to wash the feet of somebody that's much different, talks different, thinks different, votes different. But those people are in proximity to us. So are we going to love them? We're going to take a step forward to wash their feet. That's our challenge. Are we going to start washing feet? On that night that Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he, he shared things with them. He shared meals with them. Jesus shared communion with these men. I want you to go ahead and pull out your communion cup if you have it. Jesus taught his disciples what love really looked like. 
both in word and in action. Jesus taught this idea that this, this piece of bread, this, this wafer, was his body broken for his friends. Go ahead and take and eat. Jesus taught his disciples, his friends, even the man who would betray him. At the time, the wine for us, the juice, was his blood spilled out for them, his friends, because he loved them. Take and drink. Every day, every week, we get to celebrate that we have a God. He loves us so much that he's willing to sacrifice himself. He's willing to elevate his friends, which meant lowering himself to wash their feet. I pray that we recognize those that are in proximity to us, that are close to us, and we can love them so well that we'd be willing to wash their feet. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the plain words of James and the challenge that you gave us while you washed your disciples' feet. God, I pray that we actually ponder the things you say and the things you do and ask ourselves, are we willing to do those same things? God, we each have our few. We each have a few people that are in close proximity to us that we have an opportunity to step up and wash feet. God, I pray that we do that this week. We love you, Lord. It's your name I pray. Amen. You can find out more about us on the web at mtcarmelchurch.org.